Welcome back, friends, to the Mark Claire Show. It's another Monday. Time to start the week right, not just with another great conversation like you're going to hear today with my co-host, actually, on my other podcast, the Second Print Comics Podcast, the great Remzo Martinez. Uh, you also want to start your week right if you're doing things the Mark Claire way, as you should be, of course, with some Fox & Sons coffee. We got a few new products here, the Tanzania Peaberry and the Brazil Honey Prep I can't wait to crack them open. I just finished my two-pound bag of the Den Blend Dark. You know why? Because I get that delivered to my door every single month. So there's a couple ways you can try out this great Fox & Sons coffee, our great sponsor. Go to foxandsons.com, F-O-X, the letter N, S-O-N-S.com. If you never tried a bag before, I want you to use discount code MCS to pick out a bag. You're going to get 18% off your order. You will not be disappointed. You are going to absolutely love it no matter what uh, bean you choose. You're going to have a good time. Now, once you've done that, once you know you love Fox and & Sons and you want to support them because you're a fan of this show, so you want to support our sponsors, well, then you want to go and get this subscription to the two-pound bags. Right now, Stephen is offering $4 off per month for subscriptions for the two-pound bags. Uh, that's a great deal. Trust me, it's a great. It's already a great deal if there were no discount, but now you get the discount as well. So head over to foxandsons.com. Pick a bean, any bean, give it a shot, help support this show. With that being said, time for my discussion with Remzo Martinez. My guest today is actually my co-host on my other podcast, which I hope you listen to. It's called The Second Print Comics Podcast. Go ahead and check that out if you haven't already. But he's also uh, the former host and producer of a couple shows that we're going to be discussing today known as The Haunted Republic and The Witching Hour. Very pleased to welcome for the first time to The Mark Claire Show, even though I talk to him about comics every week, Remzo Martinez. What's up, Remzo? My wife would say every day, but you know. Every there's day. That. That's an exact. Well, I mean, there might be, there's probably a message every day of some sort. There's probably. That's, that's probably true. I probably talked to you second only to, to, to my wife at this point. Um, but, and some days, maybe not even second only, to be honest, but depends on the day. Depends on the day. Uh, that being said, Remzo, uh, we're going to be getting into some interesting stories today because, uh, you know, since I've started the show, a subject that kind of just continues to come up in one way or another are spirits, uh, spiritual influences, demonic forces, things of this nature. And um, it's kind of like with libertarianism, all the people I'm talking to, well, not all the people, some of the people that do actually have experience with them. Um, but a large a large part of it is the sort of the philosophical concepts behind spirits um, and this sort of thing. Um, you are sort of like uh, the post-libertarian. You're not just someone who talked about spirits. You've actually encountered them and actually gone out of your way to encounter them. And before I go further on this, whether you agree with the disclaimer I'm going to give or not, I'm going to give it. Do not try this at home. Do not try anything we're going to talk about uh, on your own at home. That might be hypocritical, uh, but Remzo's not the one saying it. I'm the one saying it. Do not try this at home. That being said, let's talk a little bit more about it. And but before we do, uh, I think it would behoove us to maybe get a little bit of your background, um, particularly maybe focusing on your religious background and things of that nature to sort of tie into where we're going to go with it. And I, I just think that this is so serendipitous too, because, you know, we're, as we were discussing like kind of the topics that we we're going to go ahead and talk about today, I was going back through a lot of old footage, everything which is available on our YouTube channel, Argos Paranormal on YouTube. But when, when I started doing this whole crazy nonsense, let's go back to 2017, Mark, what were we doing? We were talking about libertarian stuff, hosting libertarian podcasts. <laughs> 
I, I know you could say this about yourself, but I was a completely different person six, seven years ago. 100%. <laughs> and what's funny about this is that it was because I started doing the whole ghost hunting thing mm. that a lot of significant changes came in my life, not just professionally, but personally. And I think the personal changes led to the professional changes. Um, you know, the, the big thing that I want people to know is that when I started doing this in 2017, I was a recent college graduate. I was hosting a podcast. I told my parents, mom, dad, give me one year to try and be a full-time content creator. And if I don't succeed, I will try something else. I promise you. So I had my lucky producer, my brother, Ryan, uh, he was running my show. And at that point, you know, we were doing the whole political commentator, you know, young Latino libertarian type of thing. <laughs> but we quickly realized like, shit, we're running out of content to talk about and we need to do something to kind of break out. And, you can you only know, talk about how tacos are libertarian so much. So yeah. many times. I mean, th those roads will pave themselves somehow, but it's, um, it, it was at a point where it was like, you know, we were, we were really desperate to change things up and it, it gets monotonous after a while. So we, uh, we were watching ghost adventures one night and this was around the, the end of the semester. And we were looking at each other. We we're like, you know what we should do after I graduate and everything. Um, we should go ahead and maybe do like a little bonus series. We should do like, you know, Remzo and Ryan, go get, go check out haunted places and maybe that'll get people interested in other stuff too. So that way we can have some fun in addition to it. But uh, quickly, you know, we started asking ourselves like, what do we really believe about this stuff? And for the most part, Ryan did because Ryan had some experiences and I can talk a little bit about that later. But as far as I was concerned, I didn't really know if this stuff was serious. And while I was a fan of watching all the stuff on Travel Channel and Discovery and History, I cannot honestly say that I believed in any of it. So the first couple Haunted Republics we did, uh, which were available on our Patreon, were like five-minute little vlogs of us going to haunted places at night, walking around saying, this is bullshit. And then it was over. It wasn't until we actually uh, worked with uh, some financiers to secure an actual documentary that we were going to go film that we went to a location called St. Albans Santorium. That's the focus of our first documentary, Haunted Republic, St. Albans Santorium. And by the end of that night, we were there for about 14 hours. I had my entire freaking world change. So with all that to basically say, I grew up Christian. I grew up and thought that, you know, maybe this stuff is happening, but can anyone really prove it? I mean, I've never seen, I've never felt it. Kind of hypocritical, if you think about it. You know, I, I believe in the death and the resurrection of a man who called himself God. I believe in, you know, in a book that talks about demons and spirits and stuff like that, but I don't really believe it. So it was this half in, half out type of thing that I think a lot of people of faith um, deal with. So it wasn't until we kind of took that leap and we went to one of the most haunted places in Virginia and we locked ourselves in there and we filmed everything raw um, that things just... No, nothing could stay the same after that. After that, we were hooked. Uh, Ryan and I went ahead and produced a couple more Haunted Republic documentaries. But then at that point, it was more popular than the podcast I was doing. And it was just out of control successful. So we had a conversation. And I said, how about you go ahead and produce and direct a series? We'll still use all my you know, 
marketing and social media infrastructure we have in place, and we'll go ahead and market this ourselves. But while we're at it, how about we actually you know, form a paranormal group so we can work with other like-minded people to figure out more about this? Because it was about the show itself, but the show's whole purpose was us simply documenting the crazy weird shit that was happening around us. So that's how our paranormal team, Argos Paranormal, uh, was formed. That's also how our TV series, The Witching Hour, started. It started with a couple of public access networks, jumped to about 17 across the country, um, was getting picked up in places across the nation, and we did really well on YouTube. And from there, I mean, it was like an overnight success. I was on the radio of Jason Hawes from the from the show Ghost Hunters uh, with his group Taps. I was on of Jim Harold, who has the number one paranormal podcast in the world, simply called the Paranormal Podcast. I've spoken with basically all the leading figures in modern ghost hunting and paranormal research, uh, minus a few names. And it was just, um, it, it was wild because while you had a lot of people online filming things, you know, a lot of the stuff you couldn't tell whether or not it was CGI, um, the way that we were approaching it, the way that we were filming it. And also the fact that I was trying at the time to become a fledgling, uh, reporter. Um, I had a lot of my reputation on the line. So, with that, I had more at stake, and that's what really pressed us to try and be as objective as possible as we were going through this. I mean, as I look back, Mark, watching those clips, it's, it's amazing the things I didn't know at the time. It's amazing the things I've seen since. And when I look back at it, you know, I, am, I, am a, I have a very distinctly different view of the world than I ever would have if I had not questioned whether or not this stuff is actually happening. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And uh, there's a lot of different directions that we can think to go here. I think it, it is sort of, um, no matter how you experience the mystical, uh, for some people, it might be a psychedelic journey of some kind. Uh, for other people, it might be their first uh, the first night in a, in a haunted, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Haunted, uh, what do you call it? Insane, insane asylum. That's the word I was yeah. looking for. A haunted asylum, whatever it may be. Uh, but once you encounter it in some way, it, yeah, it, it would be pretty hard to not at least like create a worldview or, or alter your worldview in some way or confirm your worldview in some way once you know that there is this other thing. And because it really just, then it opens up everything at that point. So uh, so you were, just to dig into this a little more, I know you were raised Christian. Uh, I believe you went to Liberty University. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Like the Christian University of, of yeah, the country? Yeah, the one. <laughs> right. So uh, before we even dive into this more, I, I'm curious how... I, I don't know how much of your classes in, in Liberty University, how much of it is like religion class or how, a how much a lot of it? A lot. I, I took like 18 credits worth of university core classes, which, um, you know, dealt with uh, theology, demonology, biblical worldview, evangelism. Like, you know, I was I was knees deep in it. Okay, so that's interesting because that, that was my follow up question. So you actually took an entire course on demonology. Is that right? It, it was part of theology. I took I took about a year of theology, and part of Christian theology is looking into demonology. And I got to be honest, at the time, I was taking this as an online class. I, I was on Wikipedia just going through it. I was just like, you know, this is just, I'm interested in this stuff. This is stuff that I believe, but this isn't stuff that's going to help me. I was a political science major. I was ready to graduate. I was an officer in the National Guard. Of all the things I consider a priority, learning about, you know, the different types of angels in heaven and learning about the different layers of hell. Cool. 
but I, I had more important priorities. Women getting out of campus at night. I just wanted to to leave and have fun. So it wasn't until about two years later, I actually went back to a lot of my old college textbooks. And I was like, I know this shit is in here. I Googled it at one point, but it's um, you know, it's it's not one of those things that clicks unless you you have a real reason to to understand it. And it's it's funny now, if you look at my audible library, uh, because I listen to more books than I read these days, about 90% of the books I listen to at any given basis are looking at demonology or looking at um, examples and cases of possession or looking at parapsychology or looking at the science that is going into it, you know, stuff that's looking into the theory of multiple gods mentioned within the Old Testament. Um, you know, now it's become a part of my life because like you mentioned, once you kind of peek over the veil and look out, something looks back at you and life is not the same afterwards. So yeah, I, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't. I knew about this stuff. I had working knowledge, but I, I didn't treat it with the respect that I do now. It was more like, all right, that's what this ancient religion believes. Um, maybe it's true. Maybe not. Does it really matter? It was just not an, a, something that was rigorous, a rigorous part of what you needed to know in life. Yeah. My, my priority was passing the class, get out and move on with my life. Because uh, around the time I was doing this, you know, I, I was doing the Remsen Republic podcast. I was trying to become a media figure. And the only reason I went into any of this was because I needed more content. And it seemed interesting. Um, the way that it went, though, the, it's funny because there are people that know me for a, a couple of things I've done. I've published books. I've done podcasts. I, I've been a political commentator. Then there's a whole segment of the world that only knows me as Remzo Martinez, paranormal investigator. <laughs> and it's really funny because if I had to pick one of those to be known by, it would be Remzo Martinez, paranormal investigator. Not because I, you know, not, not because I discovered anything that was new. And I say that very specifically, not because I discovered anything that was new. It's because the way that I and my team, and I have to go ahead and give credit where credit's due, my, my brother Ryan, who was the lead director and producer for um, you know, the, the Witching Hour, which is the first paranormal TV show to actually win major awards for multiple film contests and stuff like that. Um, there were people who were harsh critics. There were people that were extremely skeptical. There were people that had no opinion of this stuff whatsoever. They watched us, they talked to us, they listened to us, and suddenly they came to their own conclusions that there are things existing in our reality that sometimes might not have an explanation, but are occurring nonetheless. All right, so let's go to that first, well, it wasn't the first thing you investigated, but the first one, when you stayed overnight in the asylum, that was really the night that, that changed your view on things. Because prior to this, it sounds like you were more like doing this to almost debunk it, if anything else, you know, if the, the first few, yeah. when you just thought we didn't necessarily believe I was in it. Ashton Kutcher. I was going to places saying, this is stupid. Trying to punk these ghosts, huh? Yeah. So what was that? How did you first choose that particular asylum? Like, where did you, where did you hear about it? How'd you learn about it? And then going into that, did you, like you did with the other ones, did you think this is just some nonsense and we're going to go and just film some, some debunking bullshit? So when, when on that journey did you start to realize, oh, there's something to this? Um, as, as we were trying to figure out what to do, we wanted to do like a longer form documentary because we, we, we were doing the short form content, but we were like, if we do a longer form film, at least an hour long or something, I think the, I think the, the updated director's cut of it is, is about an hour and it's free online. Um, people can go see it, but 
um, we were like, if we can go ahead and do this and people actually see that we're taking it seriously, then maybe they will go ahead and sign up for a bunch of our other things and we can actually make some money because being a content creator doesn't bring in a lot of money when you're just starting out of college and you're not really good at it. <laughs> so um, at, at that point, you know, the thing that we had realized is you've got really two types of experiences if you want to watch any of this stuff happen. One, you watch it on TV and you're hoping that the networks are being honest with you with these shows. And I could tell you about one of my network stories with, uh, with one of the big ones later as to why we did not go on a cable network. Um, but the other option was you're going to sign up for one of these ghost tours at one of these hotels or one of these places and you're going to go out with a crowd of people in the middle of the night and they're going to tell you spooky stories and someone might jump out at you and you're going to have five minutes at each location and nothing is going to happen and you just wasted like 70 bucks on it. So we went ahead and found an opportunity going on at St. Albans Sanatorium in Radford, Virginia. It was being put on by a group called Ghost Hunts USA. Now, Ghost Hunts USA had some crazy footage from their lockdowns. Basically, what they did was they would go ahead and for like four or five hours, uh, they'd spend like an hour walking you around this location. And they do it across the country. They'd walk you around for an hour, walking around the location, telling you a little bit about it. But then what they would do is they would give you all the tools that you see on like ghost adventures or ghost hunters or something like that, or destination fear. And they would let you run around and do whatever, film whatever. They would just let you do it. So we thought, okay, this is going to be our big, big case, whether or not these people are fucking with us. So we sign up for this tour. We bring our own stuff that's not tampered. And after the hour is over, we basically separate from everyone. We This is a, you know, St. Alvin Sanatorium built on an Indian cemetery, was a former all-boys school, um, was a site for the Civil War, eventually became an insane asylum. Hundreds of years of crazy that, that shit. That checks a lot of boxes. It's checking everything. <laughs> um, and I mean, the, the stories there, every room had a freaking story. It was like Silent Hill on crack. It was just like, this is like everything you could possibly want is here. This is like a portal to hell. And uh, we separate from everybody and we're running to the far end of the building because we didn't want anyone to contaminate their stuff. Now, at that point, Ryan had done a previous hunt with our father, and he had been taught some techniques from some of the ghost hunters that he had you know, observed as to how to properly look for stuff. So it was at that point, uh, we started off with something called a flashlight session. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this is, this is a waste of time. If it goes on or off, it's one of those little twisty um, flash mag lights. You know, we just put batteries in. It's like, this is stupid. There's obviously a button somewhere. And, and there's one reason why we brought our things, because we're like, how do we know their stuff isn't rigged or something? I don't you're, know. You're saying when you watch it on another show, you're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're probably yeah. just controlling or, or it. Or even the stuff that they, that they would have provided us. So they would have given us, um, you know, uh, you, you know, lights and phasma boxes and, you know, uh, the, the stuff that, Te- uh, detects like you know uh, you know stud stud finders and that type of stuff. They would have given us all that stuff, but we were like, we don't want to use your stuff. We want to use our stuff because we know where our stuff came from. So we're, we have all our cameras set up. At this point, I was working with like a a Sony Rebel Canon, 
and a GoPro that I had like fixed on to a giant flashlight I had. So we were like really mundane at the time. We got really sophisticated later. But, um, you know, we're in this area where this nurse died. It was a hydrotherapy room and this nurse apparently died in there. She was maybe like, I forget what it was. I think, I don't know if she died in there like naturally or she had been like killed by a patient. But this one, this, uh, this hydrotherapy room. Is hydrotherapy uh, just waterboarding for mental patients? What? Oh, basically. It's <laughs> really? horrible. No, like, it, it's horrible. Like going in there, I was just like, I don't know what the stuff is, but this is, this is kind of fucked up. So this is so a place where like there. we think anyway, like the, some really scary shit. Like horror movies. This type is stuff one happened. flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm-hmm. Like this is where this is where you send Without like you know, beats. yeah. Like this is where you send. This is where like you know, Ken, uh, Papa Kennedy sends his daughter to go get lobotomized. <laughs> like this is that type of place. So we're in there and we have everything set up. And after like five minutes, Ryan is like talking out into the ether, and I'm just observing this. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And next thing you know. Out of nowhere, I don't like. I don't know why. I think I think I, I know why he said this, but he's like, "If you're here, can you turn the light on?" And that little thing just turned on, and I'm like, "Well, that's fucking ironic." And you see this. I you see at this, the time you're and, thinking ironic, not still not necessarily yeah, supernatural. I freak. I freaked out. I pissed myself a little bit, but then I was like, "Okay, ironic." And you see this in the footage. Ryan is having a full on fucking conversation with this thing, and he's telling it. Blink three times of this happening. And the thing is blinking three times. And I'm looking at him. And again, and this I'm is the light the you light. just bought from like some we bought from Walmart, hardware store. Okay. Like that day. Like that day. I put the batteries in myself. He, this is happening. And I'm just like, this is insane. There is, if this is real, there is no way that this is actually happening. And I mean, this stuff happened throughout the entire building. And we're talking every type of evidence you can imagine. Um, we had a, about 30 minutes later, we left a recorder in this room in the, in, in the lodging floor where the bedrooms actually used to be. And uh, you, you got this in the director's cut because we had filmed so much. Like We left some stuff out. It wasn't until Ryan was deleting files that we found some things in some footage and in some recordings that we were like, oh, this changes the whole thing. That's why we did a director's cut. But like we, I remember we like 30 minutes later, we were on the, like the top floor where they used to like live and stuff. And we leave a recorder on the table. A year after we put out the documentary, we're going through clearing stuff. As I mentioned, Ryan listens to that recorder footage. We actually find the video file that filmed the recorder. And at the time, the video file didn't pick up anything. It didn't pick up anything. And this was a brand new digital recorder. Um, but however, when we listened to the audio recording from the recorder, and I don't know why we clicked it. But you hear something. Ryan is like, okay, if no one's here, we're going to leave. We leave the room. As soon as Ryan says, okay, we're going to leave, me and him walk out of the room. We left the recorder there a little bit longer. In the recording, you hear somebody scream. And I'm not talking like a person. I, it, 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 it like raises the freaking like goosebumps on my arms. It sounds like something out of that video game, Doom. Did you ever play Doom? I did actually. Finally, okay, some you, some game we've both played okay. with our age gap. But yes, of course I did. That's yeah. It. So you know how in like Doom Three, when the graphics were actually no, good, God, don't you, bring me to Doom Three. I said I played Doom. Okay, Doom. Well, <laughs> that's how old I am. That that's, for people yeah. that know the demons in Doom, when they're like, like you hear that scream. It's like an inhuman scream. You hear that in that. Rah, rah, and we like, look yeah. over the footage and everything, and we had been using that recorder 
for hun- for like hundreds of hours of recordings across the next couple of years. So we knew that the recorder was not broken. We looked and we saw the audio and everything and straight up, it's as if somebody sat right next to it and just screamed this angry, inhuman scream. And that, you know, that's one of those things that happened. Um, it's it's an example of like, I mean, it's it's a short documentary. You see a lot of different things clumped in a minute. But I mean, we were there for hours and hours. And most of the time we were by ourselves. We We teamed up with a few other ghost hunters who were ironically kind of there to do the same thing as us. And everyone walked out that night having something that either they only witnessed or having something that somebody else witnessed with them. Shadow figures, items turning, you know, that were cool one minute turning into, you know, as hot as hot coal the next minute photos taken with a flash in which you see giant gray like masses in front of them i mean so much stuff did not make it in the documentary that was what the hard part was how much do we show and how much do we not show before people really start thinking like you know is this is this too much like that was a legit question but yeah, I mean that that night I, I remember driving out and I looked at Ryan. I think I think I talk about it. I do like a post monologue at, at the end of the documentary. I'm like, I don't understand what happened, but what happened happened. And I don't have an explanation for it. I don't have an answer for it. But it's real. It's here. It's a controlled and non-controlled phenomenon, as in you can voluntarily cause something to happen. And things will will happen to you involuntarily, and I don't I don't know what's real anymore. I joked about something. I'm like I don't know what's real. And, and the next day we woke up because we stayed in town. We were going to do the long drive back from Radford to Northern Virginia, and I just looked at Ryan. I'm like, okay, so this kind of changes the whole thing now. Like nothing is the same after this, which like, could be true on a couple of levels. It changes the whole yeah. thing you're doing and changes the whole thing <laughs> of life. Of I was what excited. Is going on I here. was excited because I was like, "Oh, we can actually make some money off of this. We can actually get a little popularity off of this." But then I was also like, "But what does that? What does that mean for me?" Like, right. I, I was. What does that uh, expose I, I, you to to uh, to have to show people this? You know. Yeah, because I'm like, if if this is happening, then you know the the base understanding is is that i'm dealing with either human spirits or i'm dealing with like intangible entities that can somehow manipulate physical things around me in order to cause stuff to happen and i don't know where they came from i don't know who they are what does it say about me what does it say about you know the bible what does it say about man's physical form and our spiritual form all this stuff is a lot for somebody who just wanted to be a full-time podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to talk politics. Yeah. And then came up with a side gig. Uh, I thought uh, ghost stuff was going to pay the bills at least so I could get everything else going. But after that, the whole table flipped. That did so for years. So you could have gone a couple directions after this. You could have gotten so freaked out that you just ran the hell away from the whole thing, but you did continue into doing this. So um, what was sort of your mindset that you had after that, that first night? Um, like what, what, what I'm kind of, what I'm trying to get at is kind of like, what was the feeling inside you? Did you feel like other than just questioning everything now, like, did you feel that you encountered something inherently evil or was it more just like, we know something weird happened. I'm not sure what it is. Like what, where were you in terms of the, the sort of danger you might face by encountering this sort of thing at that time? At that time, it was it was fear. I, I remember, I um, 
I have a I have a good friend. Uh, I, I consider him a mentor named Andrew Meyer, um, and he uh, he introduced me to the Kabbalah. And one thing that he uh, he tells me not to do is don't talk about your dreams. But I'll talk about my dreams. Uh, I, I I have I've always been a very vivid dreamer. For Second Print Comics patrons, you can hear my you can hear my uh, Patreon series, Remzo Dreams of Dreams, where I talk about some of my crazy dreams and stuff like that. When um, did that it, happen? I don't remember that. It, it, it happened on a day that I forgot to put out an episode, so I thought <laughs> I'd go ahead and talk about this wild dream I had. Oh, nice. um, I've done one episode of it, so it counts. But like, I, I've always been like an extremely vivid dreamer. Like my parents have always been like, you have some wild ass dreams. And as I began to look into the Bible and stuff, you know, you start looking at, um, at, at, you know, at figures that had dreams. And what you begin to realize is that, um, you know, some dreams are just dreams and some dreams have messages. And the, the dreams I had that night, because we got back at like three, four in the morning, we slept in, I mean, we got a late checkout and everything. I was like, we're going to sleep. Um, I, I had a dream. I was in that like, building. I got to go to the dream world. We're sleeping yeah. tonight. <laughs> I got to get to REM, pal. Yeah. I was uh I, I was running in a hallway in the building. We hadn't left, and I was just running, and it was like a never-ending wall. And at one point, the walls closed in, and at the end of it, I'm like, "Somebody help me!" And all I hear is a voice that says, "Okay." And suddenly, I wake up, and I remember, and I look over at the other bed, and Ryan is sleeping there, and I'm just like, "Okay, well, that was fucking weird. That was fucking weird." Um, but I was uh I, I I was you know it's weird, Mark. I was scared for like five minutes, but after that, it was like I was running on this high of I have caught something and I've experienced something insane. So at that point, we're just running around the building trying to, you know, find things that are happening, trying to make something happen. And at that point, you know, it was like I, I, I didn't I didn't realize what was really happening until the end. And at the very end of the night, what they do is they unlock this boiler room. And inside this boiler room, and this place had been abandoned. It was then bought by, ironically, a former patient who opens it up specifically a few times during the year uh, for Ghost Hunts USA to do this type of stuff. And I don't know if it was my brother or somebody else who spoke to the guy, but they were like, you know, you 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 were a patient here. Why did you why did you buy this place? Why do you allow people in here? And he was like, because. And I don't think this guy was like severely mentally ill. I think he was like dyslexic or something. And they were like, Looney bin. So they, they tossed him in there. Because St. Albans Sanatorium closed, I think, in like the mid-80s, early 90s. Um, and then this guy just bought the property because yeah. he felt like it? <laughs> he, he bought he- the property. Uh, Ghost Hunters went there in one of their very early seasons. I, did a, I, did a, I was on Jason Haas' radio show in 2017, 2018, talking about it because he, he remembered that place very well. It's one of his favorite locations. And... Um, you know, he he was just like, I want people to know what this was like. I want people to know what we did and how we treated people for things that we thought were crazy, but were just, you know, dyslexia, depression, anxiety. Like, uh, there were people there that had severe issues. And people have asked me, because I've gone to a couple mental asylums and, you know, looked into a lot of how people were treated and stuff. And they're like, do you believe that it was good for us to shut them down? I actually do not believe that shutting down insane asylum in the insane asylums in America was a good idea. I actually think it was a bad idea because some were a lot worse than others. And overall, I think it was a couple bad ones. And that book and movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 
that ultimately created this giant propaganda war against insane asylums. But that's a neither here nor there thing. We can it's talk part about that political campaign. Is yeah, bring, bring it, back the asylums. Bring back insane asylums. Um, <laughs> Make but, asylums great again. Yeah. But um, they they opened up this boiler room, and it was weird because you could really tell, like if everyone else, if everywhere else looked like it was abandoned and people had been in there, this place looked like it was abandoned. But it was abandoned long before the rest of the building was abandoned. We walk in, and on this pipe that's running across the room, you see somebody had laid down like a dozen cigarettes. And I'm like, well, that's fucking weird. Next thing I go over to the corner of the room, and I see like this white circle in a corner. I couldn't tell if it was chalk or something. And there's like an empty beer bottle there. And I'm like, what the fuck? So immediately, I'm just like, this is, this is some exorcist shit. And then we got to the exorcist shit. And this dude who tried convincing us that he was a psychic medium um, is talking about why he suddenly wanted to become a ghost hunter one day. He's telling us his whole story. This is one of the other ghost hunter people? This is one of the other ghost hunters. This is one of the guys who was like in charge of the event that night. He joined us at the end and we're in this boiler room and it's him and me and a couple other people. This was like the final send-off type of thing. And he's like, you know, this is a room where demonic activity has been been told to uh, have been have occurred and all this other stuff. And, you know, I'm not afraid of it. And let me tell you why I'm not afraid of it. And he's like, it's because I have Jesus Christ. And he says it and he's not skipping a beat. And all of a sudden you just, you just hear this voice in the back of the room. And at this point I'm like, Oh, this is it. They're fucking with us. Somebody behind me has just gone like, or something like that. There's nobody fucking behind me. Was it like there that same people, uh, doom demon noise or something? It was. Different? It was something else. It was like a. It was like a moan grunt type of thing. It wasn't like what we caught in the recording, but it was enough to be noticeable. And this one chick screams, and Ryan is like, "What was that?" He's trying to swing the camera. You think around, it was like the like, the demonic uh, version of like a, a groan when he said, "Jesus, like, oh, this guy again," but just in, yeah. in, in demon. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know, I'm looking behind me. I'm like, I'm gonna catch whoever did that. There's nobody behind me. So I'm like, unless this guy is a ventriloquist, like what just happened? But then I'm holding an EMF reader. And what he tells me, he looks at me and he looks at another guy with the readers. And at one point he's like, bring the reader closer to me. And it's got, you know, we're not close to outlets or anything. There's nothing really electrical in this boiler room. We get close to him and he's like, it's getting hotter, isn't it? And I'm thinking, oh, the, the meter, yeah, it's actually getting to red. It's like we're seeing some electromagnetic frequency. He's like, no, it's getting hotter. Dude, that plastic... $20 EMF reader felt like it was scolding my hand. So I'm just like, I, I toss it to Ryan. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but like, this is, this is freaking weird. And like five minutes later, he's going through his thing. We're all like, okay, let's, let's go now. And the night was over and the night was over. And I was just like, unless, you know, up until that point, you know, it's weird, Mark, because I went from entering the place. I'm like, no, this is real. And then we get to the flashlight session and the EMF session and, you know, witnessing some other crazy shit and, you know, talking to spirit box. And I'm like, oh, I'm a believer. Then we go down to the boiler room and this guy's doing his thing and that happens. And I'm like, no, this is bullshit. Then I'm like, wait, this is happening. Then I'm like, no, this is a magic trick. Then I leave and I'm starting to think about it. And I'm like, okay, something happened. It was probably some of the most formative hours of my entire life. 
Yeah, it's a trip, man. It's got to be like, it's like shattering your worldview and then trying to justify, well, like that, no, there is, there has to be a trick for this extra crazier thing. And then going back to like, oh, it must be a trick. And then it's got to just be a, a constant up and down mind warp uh, by, by the end of the I, whole thing. I equate it to that scene in the first Doctor Strange movie where he goes <laughs> to the ancient one and he's like, he drinks the ayahuasca tea. Uh, well, d- does he drink something or does she just like push him and he gets it's, pushed into like... I never noticed it the first couple times, but right before that, she hands him this tea and he drinks it and my wife's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's drinking the ayahuasca or some ver- MCU version of it. But yeah, I think I do think that is part of it. He drinks it and then she's, she touches him and he goes on this yeah. astral well, journey. Whatever that is, that moment where it's like he's <laughs> out of his body and he comes back and he looks at her and he's like, teach me. I was kind of like that. I was just kind of like, I got to figure this out. Somebody's got to show me this stuff. Right, and right. there has to be answers because something happened. It wasn't just me. And that was the thing. It was my brother. Because if he had any beliefs about this, they were solidified in that. Other people were coming from all types of different areas. Some were just doing this for fun. Some were real ghost hunters. Others, oh, we had some weird-ass people too. We had, oh, we have somebody, and this is in the thing. We have somebody um, who... Is a, is a cousin of a friend of ours who claims to be a clairvoyant. And, and I want to preface, if there's any area where I'm still very skeptical, it's people that talk about having abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, clairvoyance, psychic, uh, psychics, oh, Cleo, man. people people who um, you know, have lived you know, past lives and stuff like that. I'm very skeptical about the past life thing. I've met like 12 Queen Victorias. Um, <laughs> but you know, we, we have a woman in the video who's a cousin of a guy who eventually became a good friend of ours who claims that she felt something jump into her body. And it was earlier on in the night too. And we, we see her and it's like her eyes get really like glassy. Like we almost thought, I was thinking like this woman's like on drugs or something. No, something happened to her. It's like she starts like mumbling to herself and she's not responsive. And it's like she had like this glaze i call it like the ssri look <laughs> it's like right. you know i don't know what she's on but like something something is up with this chick i mean a- anything and everything you can imagine if there weren't other people there i don't know if i could have come to terms to say to myself yeah it was happening and i'm actually going to go ahead and talk about it because if it was just me you it's could tell yourself me. you're just losing yeah. it or you know whatever you know you had yeah a wild and, and i've had those i've had those moments throughout my entire career of being a paranormal investigator. And what's crazy is when you're just going and having lunch somewhere with your wife and then something happens and your, your investigator brain is like, this is a, this is a paranormal phenomenon because X, Y, and Z happened. And given the history of the location and something else happened, uh, based on how I inferred this information, there's a haunting. And then you're just like, we're at a subway in an old hotel. I didn't really know much about it. Why should I immediately assume it's haunted because something happened? I still jump between it even to this day, but more so I always end up realizing it's like, no, I doubt myself because once you understand that we live in a world within another world, the stuff is happening every day. It's just a matter of whether or not we choose to accept that it is occurring or not. Did you find that even outside of the paranormal investigating, then once you sort of cracked that open, that you started to... I don't know if it's necessarily that the things are happening more around you or you're experiencing things more around you or every day of my life. It's just that you're more in tune to it now. So you're going to notice what might already be there more. That's every day of my life. I I equate it to sports. If you introduce somebody to football 
and they've never heard of football and they don't know how football is played, can they look at football and identify certain um, plays that the players are making? Can they identify why something is fouled or what a touchdown is? Can they recognize what is happening? Or do they just see a bunch of stuff happening and they're confused? That's how I equate it. Prior to this, you're watching the game. You have no clue what is happening. Then after this, you learn about the game. You understand football. Now you see everything. Now oh, you enjoy it. Oh, he scored because more. he threw the ball and they ran across the thing. It, exactly. I get it. It's a, it's a completely different thing. It's like not knowing a language and then learning a language. Suddenly, it opens up everything to you. That, that is exactly what happened. And you know that, that's the thing about it. Um, when you go to places that are haunted, you go there because there's almost a certainty. And after that, it's like part of you has this cognitive dissonance where it's like, well, that place is haunted, but the place next door obviously isn't. Or somebody would have said something about it. Well, this can't happen at other places, new buildings, new places, new houses. It can't happen unless somebody else has happened. You feel weird when you start to identify it before anyone else ha- has. And that, that's the crazy thing. And those have been some of our most insane investigations the home investigations we did, the private investigations we did were for people where we were the first investigators there, where nobody else did. The first season of The Witching Hour is pretty 50-50. And we primarily filmed uh, you know, all, all the seasons in Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, and Virginia. Um, and you know what, what you begin to realize really quick is that while you will probably immediately recognize the places that have been on TV because of the name association. We went to some places where we were just driving by and we stopped by and we talked to an owner of like an old church or something. And then we talk about what we do and he tells a story and then we go there and then we find out that the place is a full-blown haunting. Like that's when the real challenge comes, whether you can identify whether something is haunted or whether something is demonically attached and you're the only ones that can make that claim because you don't get to default to authority. You can't say, well, Taps was here. Well, you know, Tennessee Wraith, Tennessee Wraith Chasers or, um, you know, the Ghost Adventures team were here. No, we, these couple guys of a YouTube channel who got on a couple public access stations early on are the ones making a definitive claim that something supernatural is occurring. That's just what comes with looking past it and beginning to recognize that the world is different now. Can can you give an example of something that um that has happened to you or that you witnessed or experienced that you when you weren't looking for something when you were just out you know doing your thing? Uh, I'm gonna tell you about the okay. I'm, you're gonna be the first person I've told this about. Sweet, I, I've told exclusive. this to other people. Mark Claire show I, exclusive breaking news. I've told this to other people, but I've never said this. I've never talked about this publicly. We were we were investigating. Um, uh, parts of Manassas Battlefield where maybe we shouldn't have been, but we we were at night. And um, there's this place in Manassas Battlefield. I, I I grew up I grew up in Northern Virginia for over ten uh, more than ten years, 2008 to 2021 until I moved. I spent a few years in Alabama in between that uh, with the army and stuff. But uh, I, I used to go hiking there on the trails. I, I, I'm an avid hiker, so you know, living next to a whole bunch of battlefields, I, I would go hiking all the time. And, um, you know, the battlefield is beautiful. So it's one of my favorite places. And there's a, there's a trail segment 
that is unpaved. And what happened on this road was that you had this Confederate uh, officer who was captured by some Union soldiers. Uh, it was after the first Battle of Bull Run at Manassas. And what ended up happening was um, they cut his head off and then they threw it into like this, this stream bed and then a bunch of pigs came by and ate it. Like they just, they, they were pissed because the, because the union lost a lot of people there. They were, they were not happy. It was not a, it was not a good moment for the union. So they kill this officer, they cut his head off, they throw it down there. After that, for like a hundred plus years, you've just got nothing but accusations of murder. One thing you have a lot of in Manassas battlefield, especially near private homes is and the Smithsonian has had to get involved in this over the last five years. Um, a lot of a lot of pits of just body parts have been found because what you had was you had these medical stations uh, for the Union and the and the Confederacy where they were just having like you know hacksaw limbs off and throw them into these giant holes. So you have a lot of those that were found when I was living back home, like every week it was like, so another pit of body parts has been found. So we we're like crazy. And what we noticed is that a lot of them were a lot, were along this road, feather bed, feather bed road, because that was part of the Confederate uh, entrenchment. So given the history of that, given the battlefield, given the legends and stuff like that, what you also had a lot of in the eighties was satanic panic. And you have teens and you have cults going out there. Uh, some of it documented. Other of it is just, you know, what you hear from locals of people going out there practicing Santeria, practicing, uh, you know, uh, Luciferian, satanic worship, that type of stuff. So obviously, if there's one place we want to go. Do you think that area that- is chosen for that kind of stuff for a reason? Because it's a place where there was so much death and that sort of like energy that oh, yeah. goes with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there, there are three types of things I'll say about that. You've got like what I call like civil war hauntings, stuff tied to a specific event. You have post-war hauntings, which are hauntings tied to an area, but not tied to the civil war. And then you have demonic activity. And because you're dealing with demons, you're dealing with stuff that is outside of the concept of time. Was it here later? Was it here after? Is it currently here now? Uh, so you're dealing with war after war and something that time is not bound to. Um, but you know, we we were learning about this, and we were like, we want to go out there and film some shit. So we we do go out there, and it was primarily Ryan and one of our other uh, investigators and cameramen, Brian Sujane, and they went out there while I was actually out of state doing some stuff. But uh, we were gonna film a, a full episode there, and we were gonna start from one end of the road. I think it's like four or five miles, and we we're gonna go all the way to the other. And uh, I had already been out there with Ryan once, and we 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 got some strange shit. But there was this really old church, this really old Methodist church. And what we wanted to do, because we were worried about park rangers, because we had some altercations with park rangers before, we wanted to go ahead and park our vehicle at this church, but we also didn't want to freak them out or anything. And this place is old. Like It's one of the oldest churches in the state of Virginia. Um, So what we did to be nice was we basically just told them what we were going to do. We reached out to the secretary and we were like, hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. We're, we understand this might be frowned upon, but we, we just want to be upfront about it. Can we park our car there? And this woman is like, yeah, you could do that. And we're, you know, we, we didn't want anything out of it. We just want to make sure they weren't going to call the cops on us or tow our vehicles. Um, because we had another friend of mine uh, who was going to come out um, and do this with us. So at the end of the call, th- she, this woman's just like, by the way, mm, do you guys want to check out the church? 
And we were like, okay, sure. Like, what, what would we check out about? It's, they were like, she's like, oh, it's, it's historic and, you know, it's kind of old and, you know, stuff. And we're just like, what stuff? So <laughs> I know, go there. Ryan, yeah. So Ryan is like, I've got this thing I have to go to. You go there and you meet with them. I meet with her and I meet with one of the other uh, members of the, of like the, the council or board or whatever. And they're just, they're walking me throughout this building and they're talking to me about its heritage and everything and its history. And it was bombed in the civil war. It was struck by lightning and burnt down. It's gone through multiple revisions. The cemetery is super old and all this other stuff. And it backs up right into Featherbed Road. So we were thinking, oh, we can go through the cemetery to go through the forest that the road hugs. So it's like you've got the cemetery and the church on one side. You've got the road on the other. And then you've got the forest, the stream bed and everything right behind it. So it's like, oh, we just got access to a whole lot more. This is going to be crazy. And then they're like, yeah, if you guys want to spend like an hour inside at night and just, you know, film the inside of the church for stuff, you could do that. And we're just like, I, I, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at her and I'm looking at him and we're all just looking, looking at each other. I'm just like, does something happen here? And they're like, no, <laughs> no. And they're looking at each other oddly. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so we only intend on collecting B roll outside of the church and the church cemetery. As I'm walking out, I, it's just me and those two people there. I, I, it's our only two vehicles in the parking lot. Uh, they're staying inside to take care of some stuff. I'm walking out. I'm walking past the cemetery. A rock hits me. And I'm like, the fuck? And I look like around. Like a tiny pebble or how, how big a rock are we talking about here? It was a small rock. Like a little, like it could be a pebble, but it was a little bit bigger than a pebble. It was like a rock. And it just it just hits me in the arm. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So I'm thinking like, oh, it's a kid or something. I look around and um, that, you know, there's no one there. I come back later with Ryan, my girlfriend's now wife, and a friend of ours. And as we're walking back in, she gets hit with a rock. And I'm just like, what happened? She's like, a rock. Someone just threw a rock at me. So at that point, I'm like, what the fuck? That night was genuinely one of the most terrifying nights of my life. And I've had several of those when going out and investigating. This giant-ass church um, was just... Some, something, was, something was up with it. And during that night, um, one of our... You know, my, my friend, my buddy who came to film with us, who was an atheist at the time. Later, I realized that, you know, he, he turned out to be a pagan later, like paganism, that type of stuff. It was crazy. Uh, he starts getting these cuts on his hands. And that's really fucking weird. Um, we start hearing as we're just setting up, like we're not even filming yet. We're setting up. We start hearing somebody run up and down the second floor. It's a two-story church. We hear somebody running up and down. So we're like, are we the only ones in here? We're going around locking the doors. Lights are turning on and off. Um, the, the place had central heating and cooling and stuff. It was a modernized church, but it would just drop to like 30 degrees at like a moment's notice and then come back up to 70. And it's the summer in Virginia. It's really humid. And, um, you know, that's happening. I had something touch me. We tried doing a, a phasma box session at one point. What is a phasma box? A phasma is that the box. same thing as a spirit box that you mentioned that earlier? Exact same different? thing. Okay, exact so, same thing. Yeah, so we, we used one. We used one that was basically an AM FM radio with the modulator adjusted, so that way it would constantly tune. But then we had a, a another software 
on one of our old laptops that acted basically the same way, uh, except it, it works through Wi-Fi. Um, so we're, we test these two things because we want to see if if one's coming out the other, was the other one going to do? So we use that as kind of like a control factor. We use a scientific method for everything. You have your control, then you have your your random variable, and then you test it a few times to see whether or not you can get some type of consistency. And it's not saying that just because something happens multiple times, it's definitely happening. Sometimes stuff has happened only once, and that's enough to convince us. I can kind of get into that later, but we're doing a Fazbox session in the meeting room upstairs. The temperature drops. We've got flashlight there. The flashlight starts going off. And then I, I just remember asking, it's like, if, if something is here, can somebody touch me? And Mark, as I live and breathe and speak to you right now, I shit you not. Something put its hand on my shoulder and brushed up my neck behind my ear. And like I, seductively or a- <laughs> like, 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 you remember Bane from The Dark Knight Rises? Of course. When he's dealing with Dagger, that evil billionaire that doesn't like Bruce Wayne. And when he's yelling at Bane, Bane just puts his hand on his shoulder and he's like, Do you feel in charge of the situation? Uh, do you feel in charge? That's kind of how like a Sean, it was. if Bane was Sean Connery, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I felt something just put its there, its hand, and I try not to say what it is. And it's not it's a pronoun thing. No, it's actually because I, I don't know whether I'm dealing with a disembodied spirit or if I'm dealing with a demon. So I just call them it. It puts its hand on me, brushes up my neck behind my ear, and it was like ice. I was just like, this is cold. It feels like a hand. I could feel fingers. I could feel fucking fingers. It's brushing up my neck behind my ear, and it took its time. It was like four or five seconds. And I just Which remember- must feel like an eternity when you're being It was because I was something. like, for a moment, I'm thinking somebody is behind me, and I know my brother is here, and I know my friend Mike is in front of me. I, here, here's where things get wild. Flashlight. Here's goes, where things get wild. Here's where things get more wild. Flashlight stays on both spirit box and phasma box. The, the batteries were completely charged, dropped to zero. Mike, my friend in front of me, uh, atheist, pagan, whatever he wanted to call himself, he puts his arms out like this and he looks at me. And then he's like, something touched me. A moment after that just happened to me. And I'm like, what touched you? And Ryan is putting the camera in front of him. He's like, I felt something start to touch and run its fingers up my neck. And I'm like, that happened to me a moment ago. And he was like, just when you started flinching. I'm like, just when I started flinching. Now, here's where things get even more fucking wild. We get our uh, cables from downstairs. We're downstairs. We hear something running, like, and then it starts rushing, like, like stomping. And we're just like, somebody is in the fucking building with us. We go back upstairs. This time we're, stay, we're taking still photography over all our faces, over the door, a gray mass. We're, we're shooting with the, with, the, with the flash on and the flash off. We're like, something is happening in this room. We get the phasma boxes back running, and um, it, says, it says my friend's name, uh, Mike. And we're, you know, trying to figure out more of what it so is. Just, and we're just, like, to, just to be clear, yeah. the Fazabox box basically is like, it's almost like a radio tuner. And the idea is it can pick up 
certain frequency so you can hear these spirits or something communicate. Yeah, exactly. Sorry I didn't explain. Basically, something's going to interrupt the tuning and you're going to get solid words out. And what you're looking for is you're looking for words that are in relation to your specific time, place, and environment, as well as consistency and continuity of words. You're looking for sentences. You're looking for two words that closely associate to each other, given the context of where you are and things that may have happened there. Uh, you know, if you're dealing with a murder, you want to hear somebody talk about things that could deal with a murder. Maybe a description of the suspect, maybe a time and place, maybe a weapon or something like that. So you're looking for that type of stuff. But anyway, we plug them into the outlets. Uh, we're trying to get stuff going again. And we're like, do you want anything? And it says Mike. And we're like, okay, like, what do you want from Mike? And it says Mike again. So at this point, we're like, it's saying his name. It's saying the name of one of us. That is enough to be concerned about. And then we're like, what do you want Mike to do? And out of, out of fucking nowhere, it's just like, jump. And we're like, jump? Out window. There's a large window behind me where I'm sitting. So he was facing it. My back is to it. it we're on the second floor. That window, if he jumped out the window, would have landed him in front of the building. So we're like, you want Mike to jump out the window? And it's like, yes. So then, now at this point, I'm like, why the fuck is it talking about you, Mike? <laughs> if I'm Mike, I'm getting the fuck out of there. Okay. Mike, my pagan friend, who I knew from the army. Somebody I do I, wonder. So was he, was he calling himself pagan at this time, at this moment he, in time? He kind of was. He kind of was. Here's I do wonder thing, if there's a reason that he is the one targeted yes, out, of, out of this. Okay. There, there is a reason. Because he, about to get out of the army, had just gotten a new tattoo on his arm. And I'm like, what's that tattoo on your arm, Mike? He's like, oh, it's from this show called Supernatural. And I'm like, that doesn't tell me shit. What's the tattoo? He's like, oh, well, on the show, this tattoo is the mark of Cain. So I'm like, motherfucker. Things like, I could have known a little earlier <laughs> before <laughs> like, we started like ghost four, hunting with you. It was like four hours in. I'm like, what the fuck? And um, wow. yeah, my, Mike had some changes after he started getting into the paranormal and stuff like that but like what what we you know we, we go through it we go through the cemetery more shit happens i'm fast forwarding through a lot but what's wild is at uh around 3 a.m the witching hour the the devil's hour we're in the the main church body room and as we're like talking and this is like on a thursday night in the summer at three in the morning as we're trying to collect evidence in front of the pew, in front of the in front of the you know front pew, in front of the altar, all the lights in the building turn on, and we we have this on film. I think we for for certain reasons we didn't put out the full thing. Uh, we did put out some clips though, where we had to obscure some of the details about the church because some people did not want their church to be associated with this. But um, at that at that minute, all the lights in the building turn on, and we're like, "Fuck, what is happening?" The, the church pianist walked into the building and we're like, hey, man, like, what are you doing here at, at 3 in the morning? And he's okay. 3 in the morning. At 3 in the morning, we're like, hey, man, who are you? What are you doing here? And he's like, hey, who are you three? What the fuck are you doing here? So briefly, because we're worried this guy's going to call the cops on us. And Ryan is like, we should call the cops on him. I'm like, let me, let me, let me use diplomacy. Um, we, we, he tells us that this is when he likes to come to the church 
because it's quiet. And he, this was the only time he had to come practice. So we're just like, what the fuck? And we tell him, listen, so-and-so, the church secretary and one of the board members wanted us to come do this. They thought that something was happening. So at that point, he's freaked out. We're freaked out. We're like, you know what? We're done. We're fucking done. We're going to go home. This guy is like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. (laughs) And he starts telling us about his experiences at the church and all this other stuff. Long story short, because that was that night, but we had done three more investigations of that church. What we basically realized is that that man had a demonic attachment. Mm. There had been a demonic presence in the church, outside the church in the cemetery, all around that freaking area. And what made it fucking wilder was that the Smithsonian found on the church property, like not immediately next to the church, but like where the old foundation was during the Civil War when, you know, before it got like destroyed by Union artillery, they found a pit of body parts. So everything you could possibly want stacked on top of each other. Because I we we encountered what we believe to be the spirit of the church music instructor who had recently died. And mind you, we didn't know anything about any of these people. We're just looking at our footage, our notes and everything. And we're sitting down with not just the secretary, not just that board member. We're sitting down with like seven people who were all told about what we did. And we're just like, hey, does this name ring a bell? Yes. Does was this was this name a woman who liked music? Yes. Who is this? That was our music instructor who just died of cancer two months ago and all this other stuff. And I'm like, what's in the backwoods? And they're like, the kids say it's the brown man. And I'm like, what's the brown man? They're like, it's a person who who stands behind one of the trees and peeks out and stares at the children. And I'm like, have you ever seen the brown man? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, when? And they were like, I saw the brown man when I was here as a child at going to church here with my family in 1979. And I'm like, what the fuck? What? Like, what is happening here, people? It's like you stumbled upon some little Stephen King uh, church here. It, it it literally it literally was. And children of the corn. There was a lot of stuff going on within the church too. Basically, the 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 minister ends up leaving. The church staff all quit within like a year. We tried to get back in because we we're like, listen, we worked with so and so. We could show you this stuff. They elected a brand new board. The board wanted nothing to do with us. And at that point, Ryan and I, after you know some negotiating back and forth, they were basically like, put put something out, and something's going to happen. Which is always, we'll sue you. So at that point, it was just like, you know, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it. But it was it was in that moment, and that was still very early on. I don't even think we were the witching era at the time. I think we were still in the haunted republic phase. That was us as baby investigators. Um, that that was just a period where it's like I was saying earlier. It's like we were the first ones there. We had no prior evidence to go off of. I was terrified. I was utterly terrified. And that was around the same summer I got physically attacked by a demonic entity too, which was also kind of fucking scary. But what was scary about this situation is at least at that one, I had my father with me. <laughs> at least I had my father with me and my brother and stuff. Whereas this time it was just me, Ryan, my friend, Mike, and it was just the three of us. And it was just, it felt, it felt more isolating. Let's put it that way. I genuinely felt that, you know, if something happens to us here, who knows that we're here? We don't know these people. We don't know if, they, if they've done something. We don't know anything about this place. At least at the other places, I had some context to pull some thoughts from that I could put together to understand what is happening. Here, I am just running blind. I am running blind. And 
you know, it is, you know, when people are like, oh, did it touch you? It's like, no, it was not a faint touch. It was not, you know, just maybe something brushed against me. It wasn't a bug. It wasn't dust. It wasn't a spider's web. As you can touch your own, grab your own arm, that's how I felt something touching me. And I have felt that several times. I felt this in uh, Gettysburg, uh, Pennsylvania at Suicide Bridge, known as Saks Bridge, in which on footage, I was attacked. That's the one by where d- you're the most visibly shaken, I would say. Yeah, on, and on I'm bit, bending on, on in ways. I'm not, I was not a flexible person at the time, too. I am bending in ways back and forth. I, I do not move. I physically felt like I could not breathe, like somebody jumped on my back, and you see me puke all over the fucking bridge. They still talk about that. On that, on, you know, when they when they take uh, tour groups there, because uh, that that was a location that was popular for ghost tours in the area. They talk about the guy who came here, um, aggravated, agitated, a demonic entity, and then attacked him, and they puked on the bridge, and they point <laughs> to the spot where I puked. I, I became a local thing, but um, yeah, yeah, no, it gets scary. There there have been some places where a lot of activity happens, and I'm not scared. But you know, it, it, when I talk scary now, like my 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 meter for my for my fear tolerance is different. I genuinely only get scared at haunted locations when I am genuinely thinking that something here has the intent of harming me. And is that is that something that you can like now sort of feel or detect by by sort of just being in a place or by some yeah. of the activity that you see there? Yeah. So you can kind of tell if it's like a Casper to the friendly ghost situation or, or just something that's just maybe, maybe it'll respond and do some things, but it's not, it's just kind of maybe being silly, so to speak, or yeah, whatever. I but mean, there's people, I, I, I treat, and, and this bothers some ghost hunters. And I've, I've spoken about this on Jim Harold's podcast uh, a couple of times. I was on his campfire podcast and stuff like that too. And uh, people get mad. They're like, you don't call the spirits, the spirits and stuff like that. And it's like, because I don't know if they're the spirits. Because it could be, you know, it's like, I call it, it's basically like going on like one of those chat roulette rooms in the early <laughs> days of the internet. You don't know who's on the other end. Right. And you don't even know if they're telling you the truth. Right. And that um, is a subject I really want to dig into more. Uh, and we will in the smoke filled room in just a bit. But uh, uh, I'll, I'll let you wrap up uh, if there, you had more on that story. But uh, we'll, we'll wind things down in a second and, and dig it into that a little bit more in there. But uh, uh, why don't you wrap up and then let, just let everybody know where they can find because you can describe this stuff, but everybody can also go see it on, I believe, the Argos Paranormal YouTube channel. So just let them know all the ways they can find all of this archive of material related to all of your ghost hunting stuff. Yeah, um, over over five years of ghost hunting, I've gone to everywhere from old hotels to mansions, the birthplace of James Madison, farms, churches, insane asylums, prisons, you name it. We've gone everywhere. And what I, I stress a lot of people, and you know, I was telling this to a lot of like young reporters later because I saw what I was doing is basically adventure journalism, is you have to be brave enough to question and you have to go into things with an open, objective mind. And ultimately, you might not get super clear answers, but it's the pursuit of that knowledge which I think guides us. And the most important thing that I tried to carry through my life is an understanding that you know this is not just our life, is that something existed before us, something exists after us, and that you know our mortal flesh will you know die one day, but our spirits live on. And uh, you know we we have to understand is that we live not in just a physical realm, but we live in the we live between a battle of principalities and that might not, you know, that might be a bit heavy for some people, but it's here, it's happening all around you. And, uh, you know, people wondered why we ended the show and we did, and it was simple. We answered the question. 
We did the best we could. We answered the question and we didn't need to push more out because we didn't want to become too commercialized and stuff. And, you know, that's it sometimes. Sometimes the answer is we don't know or something is happening, but we don't know what it is yet. So, uh, yeah, please go ahead and check out all our bonus stuff, all our episodes, Argos Paranormal on YouTube, and check out all the documentaries and stuff we've ever done, articles about us, interviews I did and more at ArgosParanormal.com. All right, Remzo. Oh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can see photos and stuff. Indeed. Well, Remzo, uh, you can find his work at everywhere he just mentioned. And of course, you can find him every week with yours truly on the Second Print Comics podcast. Uh, Remzo, we're going to hop into the smoke-filled room, but thanks for coming on my show. Let's do it to it, Mark. Thanks again. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Remzo Martinez. As always, the conversation continued in the smoke-filled room where we delved a little bit deeper on the subject of just what are these spirits, as Remzo called them, that he encounters. Are they ghosts? Are they some kind of spiritual remnant of the deceased, the recently departed? Or are they something else? Something else much more malign. We discussed that in the smoke-filled room. That is the bonus segment for every paid subscriber, no matter where you do it, on Patreon, on Rockfriend, on Subscribestar. You get every uh, full edition of this, ep- of this show, and you get every episode early. So, for a measly ocho dollars per month, you can support this program and get tons of bonus content. I go out of my way to make sure that uh, our listeners get extra, extra content as much as I can possibly manage. We're also going to have a live stream next week. It'll be live just for supporters, just for patrons of myself and my guest show, the great Pete Quinones. So uh, supporters of either of our shows will be able to access that live stream. It's going to be a fun one. That's all I'm going to say about it right now. Uh, That being said, please do support this program if you enjoy it. If you can't support it financially, I understand. That's okay. Other ways you can support me include sharing the show. Just click in one of those buttons. Click your favorite method over at markclair.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. I don't care how you listen, how you watch. I give you lots of options, tons of video options, YouTube, BitChute, uh, Rockfin, Rumble. Uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, anyway, uh, you know how it works. Odyssey, that's the other one. A new one was missing. I give you tons of options, and I don't care how you listen, but I do ask that you share the show. Share it with a friend. Share it on your social media. Even if you have two followers, well, shit, one of them might check out the show. You can also leave a five-star rating and a fantastic review over on Apple Podcasts. That is a great way to help the show grow. Helps with the old algorithm and whatnot. So either way, I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for your support. If you even just are listening to this episode and doing nothing else, I consider that support as well. Uh, Thank you so much. I will talk to you next week. And until then, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.